What's up, all you disciple makers out there? This is Dave Stovall with discipleship.org, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. In this interview, Chris Harper of Better Man discusses the concept of discipling men in our churches. Chris highlights the fact that a small group study could be tremendously beneficial for a man, offering opportunities to engage in meaningful conversations about biblical manhood and masculinity, but also that a lot of guys out there simply wouldn't choose this kind of community for themselves or even understand why they need it. Church leadership plays a big role in that. This is something that my church heavily emphasizes for our men's groups is the urgency to encourage multi-generational discipleship to prevent men from leaving the church and to build a stronger church community that can actually affect societal change. Let's listen in to Matt Dabbs and Chris Harper today and let them open our eyes and challenge us to get our men into these small groups. Enjoy the episode. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is Matt Dabbs at discipleship.org, and I'm here with Chris Harper of Better Man. He uh, calls himself the chief storyteller. I think his official role has like a C and E and an O in it somewhere, but uh, he's a humble guy and, and a servant and loves helping men discover what Jesus has in store for their lives. And so, and helping churches figure out how to do that. So that's a huge gaping hole in a lot of churches. He was just giving me some numbers on that. And, uh, I look forward to talking about discipling culture in churches with men with you, Chris. So welcome. Man, brother. So good to be here. Uh, encouraged by everything uh discipleship.org and uh, the discipleship.org ecosystem is doing and and consider myself um, honored to be a part of that oh man well we really appreciate the work that you're doing it's with discipleship.org you know we're always about people who are hands-on practitioners walking the walk talking the talk you know not ivory tower stuff and so that's that's you i mean this is you you are the avatar you know you're the you're you're walking it and talking it and so you know, it sounds to me like from the conversation we had right before we uh, we jumped on was that there's kind of a, a pretty big void in churches when it comes to men's ministry, developing men, those sorts of things. So what, what's what's the, the gap? What's the gap you're trying to bridge? Yeah, the the statistics are pretty staggering, you know. On any given Sunday, 25 million women will worship without their, their spouse, without their husband. You know, the average church in North America has somewhere between 60 to 65% women, uh, 30 to 35% men. Um, you look at participation on like Wednesday night, Sunday school, things of that nature. Women are 10 times more likely to be doing some ongoing spiritual development, Christian discipline development. Uh, and it just it just goes on and on. Women actually lead in every statistical category in the church, whether it's attending worship or volunteering, uh, whatever it is. And men lead in all the categories like you don't want to lead in. And uh, mm-hmm. and we're in this we're in this season of what some guys out of Orlando, Jim Davis, and those guys are calling the Great Dechurching. So over the last you know twenty twenty five years, we've seen forty million people essentially walk away or leave the church, and and men basically lead in that charge. Um, so what we're trying to do a better man is, is help the church, uh, not necessarily win men back to the church, but win the church back to men. Um, and we believe that the answer to that, 
uh, is twofold. One, by, by giving men a definition. So we live in a time today where um, men don't know what it means to be a man. So we always say around the office, you can't become what you can't define. Uh, and if you think about like the height of men's movements and like the height of men's ministry, most people think late 90s, you had guys like, you know, Pat Morley, Man in the Mirror, Steve Farrar, Point Man. They were all, you know, promise keepers, Million Man March on Washington. And and the enemy back then was passivity. So it was all about telling a generation of men, hey, you know how to be men, go be men, like stop being passive. And you heard that all the time. Well, today we've transcended passivity and we're into ignorance. We we literally don't know what it means to be a man. 41% of all young men today grow up in a fatherless home. And that doesn't include men like me who grew up with a father in the home, but, you know, he just drank a lot of beer and sat in the garage. Um, no spiritual leadership, no guidance, no emotional support. So we have a bunch of functional orphans, you know, young men and millennials, Gen Z, Gen Alpha running around that didn't have an example of what it meant to be a man. So uh, one of the ways I state this plainly is uh, in the 1970s, it was, I don't want a man. In the 1990s, it became, I don't need a man. And in 2024, it's what is a man? Mm. That's where we are over, over 50 years. So, you know, we're, we're trying to help pastors see that, that when they're preaching or leading or doing whatever in their church, they're typically talking in a context where, where the majority of men in that church really don't know what it means to be God's man. Wow. That's really stunning. And I think that you've summed that up really well, whenever you kind of went through the decades like that and talked about that. And, I, you know, I barely squeaked into the seventies, but, uh, that sounds correct. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so what we've done is, is basically we, we've offered a, a super simple, super sticky, you know, biblical, theologically accurate definition of what it means to be a man. And this is, this is what we learned. Um, when men know how to win at a game, they'll play. But if they don't know how to win, they won't play. Right? So so what we've done is basically create a scorecard where we're showing men, hey, you can win at this. Like, this is what it means to be a good man, God's man. Like, this is God's design for manhood and masculinity, and you can win at this. And and though the expressions may change, and we'll get into that in a little bit, how, how the church is kind of infamous for stereotyping men, but though the expressions can change, the principles of manhood have never changed. They're timeless. They're rooted in God's word. Uh, we call it the four W's. You see it really right in Genesis. Uh, a real man courageously follows God's word. It's the first W. Adam failed to do that. You know, don't eat of the fruit. He ate the fruit. All he had to do was just courageously step up and follow the word. Love, serve, and protect God's woman, whether that's your girlfriend, your spouse, your wife, your mother, your sister, whomever, you know, men are uh, created to, to love and to serve and to protect. Uh, excel at God's work, the work that God's given you, whether you're a plumber or a brain surgeon, it doesn't matter. Uh, we do everything as if we're working unto the Lord, Colossians. And then lastly, uh, better God's world. And you do that through your kids and through your church and through your community. So you just want to leave the world better than, than when you found it. So word, woman, work, word. We unpack that for men and yeah. we please do. That is sticky. So that's all Genesis, right? Genesis one and two. It is. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Which part do you find that men have the hardest part with? Yeah, I think. Generally. Well, they, 
the hardest part they gen you know and 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 hard hard is is an interesting question the the one they find most helpful is the the woman aspect uh it's 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 really um it's been eye opening how many men don't know how to approach God's woman and don't know how to love her well don't know how to serve her well um there's been this whole complementarian egalitarian you know debate that's really resurfaced in the last 30 or 40 years and women's position in society and women's positions in the homes and men's and etc and and in all that we've lost um you know we look at we look at authority and hierarchy as toxic but we forgot that authority and hierarchy when rightly employed is life-giving hmm. and you see that all throughout scripture so I think it was Dallas Willard who said, you know, God's chief aim in the world is to find a man that he can entrust with his power because men typically do one of two things with the authority and the power God gives them. They either abuse it, uh, which is terrible. And you see that you see it in and outside the church or they neglect it, which is just as bad. And you see that in and outside the church. So how do you rightly wield the authority that God's given you the mantle of, of headship that God's given you? that that gives life instead of taking life and and when we start to unpack that for men bro it's like light bulbs are going off you know one of the things we teach at better man is before she's your wife she's god's daughter and i can't tell you i've taught that a hundred times brother and i've had i've had 20 year old men and i've had 70 year old men who've been married for 50 years come up to me and say hey bro i've been married for 50 years i've never once viewed my wife as god's daughter mm. And, and he, and it's like, it's like game changing for them. Right. I always tie it to the parable of the talents. We, we hear the parable of the talents and we tend to think of that as, you know, a parable about money, parable about resources. Um, I argue that yes, it is about those things, but it's equally about marriage. Um, and I don't know, you know, if, if God gave you a two, four or five talent wife, I probably wouldn't rank her out loud. <laughs> That'd be mm -hmm. bad. <laughs> But, but the reality is if you've been married to this woman for 20 years and God comes to get an account of your marriage and your response to God is, well, here she is, God, I, I'm going to give her back the same way you gave me to her. At least I didn't break her. Like that's not going to go well for you. You know, the reality is your wife should be becoming a better believer, a better mother, a better wife, a better, a better, she should be, she should be growing in Christ likeness because of you and not in spite of you. And there's a lot of women today that are growing in Christ likeness in spite of their husbands. Um, so that's probably the, one of the most powerful W's. Um, one of the most helpful is, is the one on word. So men read the Bible less than anyone else. You know, the American Bible society produces a report every year. It's super, super simple read. I think everybody should read it, but it's basically a report on who reads the Bible. And, and every year it's basically the same demographic that reads the Bible the most. It's, it's African-American women over 70 in the South. So like if, if, if I've got a million dollar Bible question, like I'm calling a grandma in Georgia, like, like that's happening. Uh, she's the real MVP. <laughs> and the, and the, the people that read the Bible the least are 18 to 40 year old males in the Northeast. But, but, and then everybody else is in between, but men, men are, um, low on the scale there. They, they don't engage the word. A lot of men don't know how to engage the word. There's a lot of biblical illiteracy in and amongst men. 
So we do some we do some basic hermeneutics. We do some basics inductive Bible study that that begins to unlock Scripture for men and and help men fall in love with the Word of God. It's foundational for everything. So woman is probably the most impactful. Word is probably the most helpful. Hmm. And then and then of course you know work and world. We hear all kinds of life transformative stories when when men begin to view work rightly and begin to view their world rightly. Uh, again. Super simple, super sticky, easy scorecard. Uh-huh. And uh, we probably, in the last two years, we probably had close to a million men go through it. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the way we packaged it, we, we went to, you know, it's all free. We give it away. And, and it's all online-based. We have some of the best video teachers in the country, man. They, they really are phenomenal guys. And um, you can teach it live as a pastor if you want it, or a men's leader if you wanted to teach it live, you can. But 80% of churches use our videos. Um, we've equipped probably a little over 3,200 churches in the last two years. Um, you know, the stat I was sharing with you, bro, uh, 80% of all churches in North America have a functioning women's ministry. Less than 7% have a functioning men's ministry. Um, mm-hmm. and beyond, uh, you know, a wild game feed or a quarterly men's sure. ministry. Right. So, mm-hmm. so, um, uh, what's cool is we can show up at any church and say, Hey, here's a two year turnkey solution to begin to on-ramp your men into a sustainable discipling men's ministry. So, so where better man is not deep discipleship, we're the starting block for discipleship. And, and I really try to help pastors see what we typically try to do with men is like throw them into these week long, like discipleship intensive relationships. And we wonder why 90% of them wash out after a couple of weeks. Well, it's because they don't even know how to tread water. Again, they're, they're living in this, this era of ignorance. Mm. So, so what better man is really, what we've gotten really good at is, is we help men tread water. We give them a definition, we give them a foundation and we can set a church up with two years of content and curriculum. Then to take them into the deep end of the pool and begin to, and begin to really invest. So, uh, yeah, it's been, been super helpful. So you scale this to 3,200 based on online materials, not based on staff. That's right. The yeah. staff does help when somebody wants to bring you in and do that live and that sort of thing. But the vast majority is coming through at better man at your website, walk you through it, download stuff, all that videos. Yeah. Videos, man. We've got a plus leader guides, table leader guides. I mean, we've got, we've got guides that tell you how many cups of coffee you should brew per each man. I mean, it's that detailed. <laughs> And, and we do have, you know, we have three or four full-time staff that, you know, we have customer service. We will come to a church. We'll walk you through the process. Uh, we've come on, on certain occasions where, where churches have, have banded together. You know, we'll come do a citywide training. Um, I've got a citywide better man launching in Arlington, Texas in two months where 30 churches have come together to take, you know, they're trying to take about 8,000 men through better man. Um, you know, and those are, those are one-offs though. The majority of people that are going through it, I, I tell people all the time, um, you know, you'll, you, I don't care what new discipleship thing comes down the pipe and there's a lot of good stuff, not bagging on anything. You'll never out strategize three, four or five guys sitting around a table. You'll never out strategize two or three guys sitting around a fire. Like, like that's, that's where you, where you get into it. And, uh, so better man is really built for that six, eight guys sitting around a table, you know, 
doing the study. It's a fill in the blank. We put the answers in the back of the book. Men typically don't find that out till week four, but they're there. I just gave it away. <laughs> it's, you know, the, 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 <laughs> you, you only give the odds or the evens though, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and the content and curriculum is great. Yeah. Um, it's great, but it's not where it's not necessarily where the spirit is working. The spirit really starts to work in the conversation that happens around the table. It's in the opening up and answering the table questions and the beginning to do life with one another. That's where we really see transformation and growth. So, mm. so the curriculum really is just the bait on the hook. It's that, it's that, um, that group discussion, that group time, that consistency of meeting together and, and opening the word and opening your life with one another that, that transformation begins to happen. So you keep mentioning, um, that you have a definition when it comes to this. So, you know, as far as like, what's God's definition for this? So how do you all express that? Yeah. So we express it through those four W's. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so that's the definition. Courageously follow his word, love his woman, excel at his work and better his world. Gotcha. So if we take what you're saying and we, and we, um, well, let me back up. So there's a number of people who are watching this or listening to this. And some of them are just individuals going, Hey, you know, I want to do better. Um, they may not have a church that's on board, you know, but they want to pick it up and go. Sounds like they can just pick it up and go or get, get with a couple of friends and kind of work it out. Absolutely. You can, um, you can do it on your own. Uh, we, we, we have tons of guys that do that. Uh, they'll sit down you know, they'll go through the curriculum. It's, uh, the core. So the foundation it's 30, 31 weeks altogether, but the core is an 11 week kind of introduction to God's design for manhood and masculinity. So I would encourage you to start there. And then we have a five week deep dive into each of those four W's. That's more biblical, more theological. Um, but I, I would encourage you to do the core, but absolutely it is you can do it by yourself, but it's, it's best used in a, in a small group setting. And that's that four five, six. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you know, we, we really don't, um, put a number on it. We've, we've seen two or three guys go through it together. We've seen one-to-one, -one, um, long hollow church in Nashville had 1800 guys show up at the first one that they had to, you know, that they put into tables. And so. Again, those are one-offs. Those big gatherings are one-offs, but, but most of the time it's six to eight guys around a table. Yeah. Okay. And so then on the church side, if a church leadership is watching or listening, they can either say, we're going to just go to the site, download the resources, get the, all that, show the videos and walk through it without assistance. But then there's also, it sounds like the assistance option where you're willing to come in and walk the church leadership or like in front of the church, like Sunday morning sermon style, or how does that look? For a church. Absolutely. So a lot of churches, um, some of those churches that maybe have more resources, have, uh, more men, they're looking to pull a larger group together. We'll come in, I'll come in and preach on a Sunday and that'll be the kickoff for the better man. Okay. Um, but the only real responsibility that the church has to have one is securing a, a, a spot consistently for the men to meet. And then we have the church recruit the table leaders. So the table leader is key in all of this. He's the guy sitting at the table that's going to facilitate the conversation. He doesn't have to create curriculum. He doesn't even really have to study anything. Like he, he's the gatekeeper. He's curating conversation, curating community. He's making the thing flow at the, at the table. So, um, 
anytime a church says, hey, we're going to take 100 men through Better Man, right? You're going to need at least 15 table leaders. And we, 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 we walk you through, man, how do you select those? Who are you looking for? The whole nine yards. Yeah. And on that selection process, is that are your assistance on table leaders, just trying to picture in my mind, um, is that, is that the assistant side, like you in person, or is that laid out in your resources too? It's, it's laid out in our resources. Okay. Absolutely. And if it's a, if it's a large enough gathering and, you know, multiple churches are involved, we do come and do things in person. Um, so for an example, uh, I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky in the very near future. And about 15 churches have come together. Um, so we'll go do a one, two day event for them that basically helps kickstart their better man. Mm. Um, unfortunately, we don't have enough resources or time or people to, to do that for every church. Um, but the, the, the online is just as helpful. Um, the only thing you don't get is my weird Texas, Kentucky accent. There we go. But there, but it's on the video, I assume. That's right. It is. Okay. <laughs> So if, if a church wants to pick this up and roll with it, obviously, if it takes your time and travel and all that, there's expense. If they're just going to the website and getting all this, is there any expense to that? No, no. So we, uh, we're 100% donor funded, um, better man. So for those who, who remember the height of men's ministry in the, in the late nineties, there was a program called men's fraternity written by Robert Lewis. Robert went on to author a book called How to Raise a Modern Day Knight that was super popular, still is today. Better Man is actually that. That's, that's our lineage. So uh, it began as men's fraternity uh, in 2012-ish. It reiterated to authentic manhood in the 33 series, which a lot of people were familiar with. And then in 2018, we reiterated it again to Better Man. That's when we scrubbed everything, rewrote everything, and geared it towards millennials, Gen Z, and Gen Alpha. That's who we were going to run hard after. Um, when Robert, you know, I, I use the word retire loosely because, you know, a man like Robert Lewis, you know, you never retire from working from the Lord. But when Robert stepped out and they asked me to come replace Robert, uh, one of his things were, hey, we're going to do this, but we're going to keep it free. We want churches and men to have access to this for free. And, and for five years now, we've, had, we, we, we've held to that. It hasn't been easy all the time, but um, we've held to that. The Lord continues to provide. So, so we literally give this away. There's no, there's no bait and switch. You don't get into week two, and then all of a sudden, you got to pay a license and fee to get week three. Like, it is free. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, paid four ninety nine for the second half of the lesson. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not. I'm not mad at guys that do that. I yeah, wish no, no, I no. could do that. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anyone do it. I just said, but you know, <laughs> it could feel that way. I can see how it could feel that way. Um, so can we talk just a minute about church culture and about, about how, how churches can, well, you, you lead back up to the statement you said a while ago, you were talking about trying to bring men. I remember exactly how you said, but bring men in the church versus bring the church to the men. Like, can you kind of tease that apart a little bit and talk about, you know, on the church side, what can be done to, um, to help leverage the men or help the men grow, help them connect, like fill us in on that. Yeah. So th this is probably one of my favorite things to talk about. It's, it's what I spend the majority of my time tra traveling around talking about, 
I'm a big church history guy. Um, I was a former mega church pastor. I pastored three different churches, uh, was a very, what the world would call successful church planner, you know, things of that nature. So I've been entrenched in church culture, church history. Love it. Uh, it's Jesus's bride. There, there have been three major moves over the last 100 years that have really impacted men. And if you look at the three moves individually, they don't look like a big deal, but when you bring all three moves together, um, it's kind of a perfect storm and, and I'll spare you, I'll spare you the history behind all of it, but, but there are two, two of the moves were more recent. The first move happened in the 1970s. Um, Daniel McGavern and Robert Schuler wrote a book, basically how to grow your church. And it was the church growth movement. Um, 1970, there was 50 mega churches by 1990, there was, you know, 300 and by 2001, you know, there were close to 14, 1500 mega churches. Like you had this, this expansion of church growth, uh, McGavern and Schuler basically said three things in those books, in the books they had released. Um, if you want to grow your church, church churches need to be homogenous, right? They, people who look like one another shop at the same place, eat at the same places need to go to need to go to church together, which is why, which is why it's led some people to say that the most segregated place in America on Sun, you know, is a church on Sunday. Um, they also said that there are two demographics that you basically have to reach if you want to grow your church. And it was children and women, which is why in the late seventies, eighties, you saw this big explosion in children's ministry. I mean, millions of dollars in children's buildings and bus ministries, picking up kids and the whole nine yards. So for example, 10 year old, Chris Harper, um, every Wednesday night I stood in front of my house and that Baptist school bus came and picked me up and took me to children's church. What's interesting though, is every Wednesday night, I'd walk to the back of that bus, look out the back window at my dad sitting in the garage, drinking beer. 30 years later, I've come to realize that if we had reached that man in the garage, I'd have been a lot better we yeah. going after the wrong man the whole time. Yeah. So you saw this big feminization in the church, the language changed, the music changed again. Don't need to go into all that, but, but the church mm -hmm. basically began to cater towards women and rightly so they were carrying the water. They were carrying the weight, man. The next big shift happened in the mid eighties. And that's when we went from academic spaces. So thank, thank Sunday school to communal spaces. And somebody invented this thing called life groups. So they, they, they basically said all the 20 year olds go over here and all the 70 year olds go over here. And, and we thought by putting a bunch of 20 year olds together, just wisdom and experience would bloom. Well, we know biblically that wisdom and experience is transferred down more times than not. So we effectively with the formation of life groups, again, a lot of good came out of that. Mm -hmm. A lot of good things come out of life groups, but we effectively killed gender-based multi-generational discipleship. We just killed it. Um, uh, which is what the church is missing. Uh, it's the biggest void for men. Uh, there is no gender-based multi-generational discipleship at the majority of churches in the West, and we are not going to re-engage men uh, until we can get back to that gender-based multi-generational discipleship that speaks to men and not speaking to men in feminine tones, not speaking to men after we sing a bunch of worship songs about drowning in an ocean of God's love. Again, nothing wrong with those things, but but we've got to get back to a to a vernacular to, to actions, to, to events that, that re-engage the heart of man and then put them with older men and old as relative. 
Like if you're 20, 32 is old. And if you're 30, 45 is old. And if you're 75, you're just old. You got everybody covered. So you're good. <laughs> but, but we've got to get back to, to having more mature men speaking into less mature men mm-hmm, uh, so mm-hmm. that we become like the man, King Jesus. Hmm. That's really, really good. So now that makes sense. Just walking through the history of that. So, so where are things positioned today? It sounds like you're saying there needs to be a fourth turning here of this wheel or whatever you want to call it that, that turns that thing back over, you know, kind of addresses some of these gaps. Yeah. And, uh, so, so explain the difference between the church to men versus men to the church. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So I was at, um, I was at a super prominent church about six months ago. I won't say which one it was because it, it, it may sound offensive, even though they wouldn't mind, but they, they, they basically looked at me and said, we don't know what to do with our men. And, and I thought, man, if this church doesn't know what to do with their men, like one of the most influential research churches in the country, like we're in trouble. And, and so I kind of walked them through, uh, what I just did with you and, and they were like, that's great. Like philosophically, that's great, but we, we need something right now. Like what can we right now? And, and I basically said, I said, how many door greeters do you have? And they said 300, you know, in our, in our volunteer pool. I said, that's great. I said, pull them all in next week and train every one of them that when they see a man walking across the parking lot with this family. Grab that man by the arm and say, well done, brother. I see you. We are, we are not going to guilt and shame men back to the mm-hmm, church. Mm-hmm. That, that season is over. Mm-hmm. We have to encourage men yeah. into the church. Uh, I, I told that particular pastor, I said, bro, no more dad jokes. I said, you've won the women and children already. Stop with the dad jokes. It's insulting. Yeah. Um, I said, no more guilt ridden father's day sermons. Like we've got to go back. Yeah. Like one thing we can do tomorrow, we just got to start encouraging men again. That's so good. Um, um, you know, society and culture just has been beating up on men for decades now. Uh, Jim McNamara just did a phenomenal study. He's a researcher out of England. He brought his team to the U S and they, for six weeks, they watched over 2000 channels of mass media, everything from the New York times to daytime talk show. And they just made a notation every time a man was mentioned. So every time a male or masculine was mentioned, they, they, they made a note. What they discovered is in this country, 80% of the time. So four out of five times a man is mentioned. He's mentioned in one of four lights. He's either a villain, an aggressor, a pervert, or a womanizer. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's all our men are hearing. That's all our young boys are hearing. That's all my three boys are hearing. And, and you hear that long enough, you, you begin to act into that, right? Mm-hmm. You begin mm-hmm. to believe it. So, so I, I tell pastors all the time, like the, the first thing we can do is just stop discouraging men subtly and, and, or consciously uh-huh. and unconsciously. So good. And, and then another thing is we've got to stop with these, we've got to stop with these stereotypical men's events. You know, um, not every man, wears flannel and throws axes, you know, like, like that's not, that's not the epitome of what it means to be a man. And, um, you know, I, I I don't do that. Like I, my backyard is turfed. I don't even cut my own grass. Like I'm ashamed to say it, but it is what it is. Right. Um, um, there men today express themselves differently. Um, you know, Kevin Hart 
and The Rock are two different expressions of men, but they star in the same movie. Right, 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 right. So I try to help churches see, listen, like you can be a poet and still be a man. Yes. You can be a painter and you can be an electrician and you can be all, you can be all that stuff. Right. So, so we've got to quit like with these stereotypicals, you know, wild game fed and spirit led, bro. I don't eat deer. I love Chick-fil-A. Like I eat a lot of Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like, like we, we just got to stop with this. And, and instead of, instead of trying to paint what expression of man we think it should look like, mm-hmm. just got to go back to his word. Like, like what does God say about manhood and masculinity? And that's really what men need. Uh, if, if, if I could tell someone leading a church or leading a men's ministry right now, what's, what's the one thing you need to give your, your men today? Um, it's the word of God in community. Uh, the surgeon general of the U S just announced the number one killer of men is not heart disease or cancer. It's loneliness and isolation. Mm, I totally believe it. So, so, so create, you know, create a space where, where more mature men can start speaking into the lives of, of, of younger men. And I get it. That's like an, an awkward eighth grade dance, right? You got the old guys over here, the young guys over here. Right. And, and for some of you older, more mature men, if you're waiting for the younger guy to put his hand up and say, oh, disciple me, you're going to be waiting forever. Like you need to go to him and say, hey, it's, it, it's why we call better man, better man. You know, you, it, it, it's hard to go to the, to the young guy at Home Depot that's, that's helping wait on you and, and ask him, hey, do you want to do an exegetical study on Colossians? He's probably going to look at you like you're weird, but you can go to him and say, hey, have you ever thought about being a better man? Man, you know what? I, I do need to be a better man. Great. I've got this study at my church. Come on. Like it's super easy. Yeah, that's good. And, and we're seeing churches all across the country use better man equal parts discipleship tool, but equal parts outreach tool. Been super effective. Yeah, I could totally see I, uh, where you're coming from on men's history with church. Excuse me. Uh, you know, Mother's Day, yay mom, Father's Day, bad, you awful guy, you know. And, and, and part of that, I think is the, the, the head pastors often are very isolated, are very lonely, you know, had, have been, have been even educated to not make friends at church. That was one of the first things I heard from my first mentor in ministry was don't make friends here. Wow. And I was like, I'm an introvert. And I was like, that can't be right. You know, that can't be right. And sure enough, I mean, that, that didn't turn out well for him. The, the person who, who, who said that ended up in a real mess, uh, trying not to make friends at church. And it's like, if that isolation is happening at the top, you know, what's trickling down or like, how is that even a, an example or like married to your work? How, you know, that's a huge problem in ministry. So, you know, the one spiritual guy, that's the role model for the church in a sense, not really, but you know, it's kind of seen that way. There's a guy up front is isolated, overworked, disconnected with the family. Their kids maybe are, you know, I'm not saying everybody, but it happens like, you know, and it, it just got to start there. So do you, do you all um, help see your pastors in discipleship or kind of model some things or resource them or anything like that? Absolutely. We're, bro, what you just said is so good, so spot on. Um, and it's timely because at the end of the day, we have to keep going upstream. So what we're seeing, you know, that definition I shared with you, it's interesting. If I lined up a hundred men and said, tell me what it means to be a good man or God's man, 
I'll get a hundred different answers. Okay. But it's the same. If I lined up a hundred pastors and ask them the same thing, I'd get 50 different answers. And then the other 50 might not answer at the fear of offending someone. So like, like most pastors today, especially younger pastors and this, you know, I don't mean this to sound negative, but, but I think this is important to share. A lot of young pastors today, they lead and they preach and they teach in such a way to gain affirmation and approval from their congregation that they didn't get from their fathers. Mm. And that causes a host of issues, right? A lot of pastors today, even probably more so younger pastors, they don't have the definition. They're not, it's not like they came from some family that had some spiritual giant in it. A lot of pastors, you know, they're first generation Christian, right? They didn't have that spiritual example. They didn't have a pathway. They don't have the definition. So one, I would, you know, typically a, a pastor, if he's, if he's wrestling with something or if he's not strong or confident in the area, he won't talk about that thing. Mm-hmm. So if I don't know what it means to be a man. I won't preach on manhood and masculinity. I won't really talk about it. Right. You know, that's what you said earlier. If they don't know how to win the game, they're not going to play the game. That's it. Because I feel like a hypocrite. Yeah. You know, like, you know, you know, I mean, you go through all those emotions. So one of the things we do is, is let pastors know, Hey, like you, you probably need to go through this with your men. And, um, man, I saw a great example of this. Robbie Gallaty is a good friend of mine. Uh, I know he's tied into the discipleship.org network and Robbie's probably the manliest man I've ever met in my life. Dude's a mountain. Right. And, uh, we launched better man in this church. And, and I asked Robbie, I said, I said, Hey bro, I said, you, you, you going to teach this live. And he looked at me and he said, Chris, no, man, I'm going to go through it. I'm leading the table. And I'm like, dude, that's so good, Robbie. So good. Um, I, I effectively lead the largest men's ministry organization in the country. And I need this more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I go mm-hmm. through it every mm-hmm. time. Right. Yeah. So I would really encourage just the pastor listening or, or that will listen, um, you know, go through it with your men. You probably need this definition. And we are constantly producing EPUBs data-driven resources. You know, we're just not out here hypothetically uh, talking about how or why you need to reach men. No, it's like, like the data shows that we've lost the men. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so we just don't offer the data, but we're also, we just did an EPUB three months ago called Men Are Not Villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we shared some of McNamara's study, and then we shared some antidotes basically of how as a pastor, you can begin to re-engage the men in your community. So, so absolutely, man, we're always producing those resources. Uh, and really, uh, I love what you said, you know, the importance of going upstream. We are, we are very much trying to go upstream. I've, you know, I've got a, I'm doing presentations at seminaries now where, um, I mean, I mean, so think about this. There's not a seminary in the world that offers a class on biblical manhood and masculinity. Huh. I mean, I mean, I mean, what are we missing? Like, like, like Robert, Lewis, like half the people, you know, that, that's it. That's right. And, <laughs> and, 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 and Robert Lewis said this one time, um, he got into an argument with a guy. Let's not call it an argument. He got into a lively discussion with a guy and, and I'll never forget this. This is so good, man. And the guy was talking about the importance of knowing your Bible and then knowing who you are as a man. And Robert said, no. He said, I argue that you can't know your Bible properly until you know what it means to be a man. 
And I thought, bro, that's so good. Like he reversed it. Uh, and then in a perfect world, you're doing it simultaneously. Like I get it. Robert's not saying, go learn what it means to be a man and then go learn scripture. What he's saying is you can't rightly interpret scripture and live out scripture until you're rightly understanding what it means to be a man because mm. it applies differently to you. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and I would share that with pastors, right? You're, you're out here exegeting Romans and, and maybe you're the best one in the world to do it, but it's falling on hard soil because the cat in your congregation doesn't even know what it means to be a man. Doesn't know. And, and so somehow we've got to, we've got to do both. Uh, yeah. You've got to bridge that gap. There's a really good book, um, that a lot of people know about, but maybe some don't, uh, a, F a failure of nerve by Edwin Friedman is such a good book. Uh, so Friedman, um, uh, Peter Steinke takes right. this and applies it to churches, healthy congregations, uh, congregational leadership in anxious times. And they, so Steinke was a student of Friedman. Friedman was a student of Murray Bowen. Bowen was a psychologist who dealt with schizophrenic kids. And Bowen, Bowen was the developer of family systems theory. So Bowen, Bowen discovered that you can't treat a schizophrenic child without treating the family. You bring the, you bring the child into residential treatment and then you try to get the, the problems worked out and then you send them back to the dysfunctional home environment which is not true of everybody with schizophrenia, but this was kind of what he, what he was seeing. And so, so my point is, is that Friedman took family systems theory that we all operate in systems. You can't just treat one part. The, the family is the treatable piece. Yeah. Like you got to treat the whole system. Um, and, and so, and a failure of nerve, he talks a lot about like emotional enmeshment, lack of boundaries. Um, he uses a lot of good illustrations, but um, it's a really, really good book for people to figure out kind of part of how to be differentiated from the world, um, and how to be able to stand on your own, you know, not on your own two feet, but be able to withstand what happens when, you know, you know who you are and you know what you're about, you know what you're here to do, you're going to execute on it and do it. And, you know, I've just found that book to be an invaluable resource at times, um, to remind myself, you know, sometimes when you face opposition or flack or whatever, it's sometimes you're on the right track. Like sometimes <laughs> like our churches are so risk averse or are so like complaint averse. And then like even any hint of, I'd say aggression, but like, uh, testosterone or whatever is kind of frowned upon. And then when the guys, you know, want to make that turn to come back, they're so afraid of what people are going to say when they finally walk back into the door, where have you been? And you know, sensitizing the church to being graciously receiving of men and all this stuff you're saying, it just, there's just such a need. Like, I think as we hear you explain this, as I hear you explain it, it just brings up a lot of stories. It brings up a lot of people's names and memories and people who never made it back, who tried and all of that. And, and, and I love and appreciate the fact that you're trying to help churches have a better way to facilitate that reconnection and and, and keep people from leaving in the first place as well. I'm sure there's a lot of prevention in this too. Yeah. And that multi-generational discipleship will do that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I had a buddy of mine say one time, you know, he, he, he said, he said, I don't like going to church. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, Chris, it's not that, it's not that I, that I hate Jesus. He said, I just hate that my wife is so much better at it than me. 
thought, man, that's a, that's that's a really good picture. Most people aren't, you know, courageous enough to admit that or, yeah. or self aware enough. But that's a really good picture. Like yeah. again, not that not that men should be better than women at everything. That's not what he was saying. But he's just saying I don't know how to win at it. Like, and I, if I don't know how to win, I'm not going to play. Mm-hmm. And and it goes back to that principle. So we see so many men just sidelined. Yeah. Um. You know and. In a lot of churches today, and we have to change this too, right? Um, it's not, we've got to quit asking men to do less and we've got to call them up to something more. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're winning as a man in the church today. If you show up, tithe and help park cars twice a month, like you're winning. Yeah. 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 There's, there's no development in that. Uh, No. And, and, and like, there has to be something more. So, so I think the natural intuition of pastors was. Well, we're not getting enough men to come, so don't ask them to do more. Yeah. You yeah. just stop asking men to do things, right? When actually it's the opposite. Yeah. No, 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 no. Call them up to something more and like they'll show up. It's that old story of, um, I think it was Steve Ferrar that used to share this story all the time about his high school. And it was, it was recruitment day. So the, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, and the Marines all showed up and they got to talk to everybody in the auditorium, but they told the recruiters, you each have five minutes. So the army guy goes first and he takes eight minutes. The air force guy goes and takes seven minutes. The Navy guy goes and takes eight minutes. So it's time for the Marine. And they tell him, sorry, you only have one minute. So the Marine gets up and he says, Hey, listen, um, I only have one minute, but here's the deal. It takes a lot to be a Marine. And there's probably only one of one or two of you in here that could actually do it. So if you're that guy, come see me. And he walks out of the gym and goes to his booth. And they said the men are lined up around the gym to go talk to him, right? Because everybody wants to be that guy. Yeah. And don't you think that goes back to, I hate to make it so personal to you, but it's that dad sitting in the garage, drinking the beer. They didn't get that from him. Yeah. Nah, man. And that a hundred percent, dude, a hundred percent. I, I was never really encouraged. Um, you know, I was always by example taught to settle. Right. Um, and, 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 and that's Satan, right? Satan is never, is never going to get me to hate God. I love God more than anything in this world. So what he wants to do now is to get me to settle for a portions of the inheritance that God's promised me, Mm -hmm. you know? It's the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness. Satan offered Jesus everything God had already promised him. Satan just offered him a shortcut. Mm-hmm. And I see so many men taking shortcuts to the glory and the inheritance yeah. and the goodness that God has for them, man. And they're just trading it away. But you know, that's what they were told. That's right. That's what they were sold. And so, you know, but they're miserable. They're killing, they're literally killing themselves. Yeah. USA Today yeah. just reported suicides are at an all-time 80-year high. Wow. All-time 80-year high. We haven't had this many suicides since the Great Depression. 81% of all suicides in this country are middle-aged men. Wow. Wow. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad that you are boots on the ground helping, what do you say, like a million plus guys try to figure this thing out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah. We're encouraged by that, but you know, I, I was, 
I was sharing with the group the other day, they were like, man, you guys are really in 3000 churches. And I'm like, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, man, that's awesome. And it was a great high five, but there's 365,000 churches. in America. Yeah. yeah. It's you got 99% more to go. Like, like we, we, somehow we have to multiply this because I'm going to be dead, you know, and, yeah, and, yeah, I, and yeah. I want to see this, man. I want to see this move. And um, I do believe there's a move and I do believe there's, you know, I, I, I be careful with this word, but I do believe there's a revival of such on the horizon, but this, I know it will not come because the hearts of women and children are being changed. Mm. It will come when the hearts of men are turned on to God and then they lead their households into the glory of God. That's when we'll see it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the men lead them in, the men lead them out. The men oh. leaves the church, they leave. If the men goes, go, men go in, they're going to go with them. But, and I, I think I've said it probably on the, on these videos at some point in the past, but I think Wolfgang Simpson said it really well. He, he tracked a lot of revivals and he said that revivals don't ever start in a church building. Revivals start in barns and prisons and fields and streets and homes. And, you know, it's like, we try to control the mess out of everything in that church building and right. revival well, spirit doesn't like to, I, mean, I don't know how that works. I can't speak for the Holy spirit like that, but. Uh, tends to happen at the greatest point of need. Churches like to be self-sufficient. Like, you know, we got everything we need. We got under control guys, you know, and we need some adventure. You know, we, we need some unknowns. We need some conquest, like, like, not like the, uh, the, uh, uh, crusades or something, but you know, we need like a battle or something to engage in. That's meaningful. That's it. David, David Murrow, who wrote why men hate going to church. Um, he said, today we offer men what he calls a velvet coffin Christianity. Yeah. Just luring them to sleep, man. Yeah, that's so not good. We've taken the edge off. We've taken the adventure out of it. You, you said something that, that is spot on. Um, because we've become risk averse and we're all about risk aversion, that's 0% appealing to men. Like, love. Yeah. Yes. yeah. We got to get back yeah. to that, that adventure. Yeah. Yes. Be on mission, do this together, not know what we're doing sometimes, then figure it out together, then see the victory and watch God work. And it's like, now nah, you got a story. That's it. That's yeah. it. So my brother, well, any last words for us? Man, I think I would just, um, one, just thank you again. Love, love sharing with you guys and, uh, love with you all, what, what you all do, Man. uh, this, you know, for some odd reason, we've been trying to figure out discipleship for a long time now. And, and to your point, we've, we, we've over strategized and we've, we, we've underutilized the spirit and, and, and it's, it, it's simple. It, it's simple. Yeah. Uh, you look at someone and say, Hey, listen, I've messed up five times, follow me. And maybe you only mess up four. There you go. just gotta be one step ahead. And I, and I want men to hear that you don't have to be some theological giant. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, uh, to reach into your son-in-law's life or into your grandson's life or into your neighbor's life and just say, Hey. Um, I'm willing to show you something more. So, uh, and then, and then to the church leader, I would say, um, your church will never, will never grow beyond the commitment of its men. It won't, you can, you, we can keep spending the average year in and year out. The church in North America spends $7 billion on children's and youth ministry every year only to have 70% of them walk away after they graduate high school. The ROI 
there is not another industry where you would allow yeah. that. Yeah. So I would, if you reach the dads, that's it. The dads. Yeah, man. Yeah. We did bus ministry for a number of years and, you know, we, we realized at some point, man, these kids are not going to keep coming when we, when they hit 18, their parents aren't coming. They've got no other connection. That's right. You know, and that's exactly what happened. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, God bless you. I, I hate to end on a negative note. Like that. say something positive and then it will stop. Hey, <laughs> hey, God is on the throne. And, uh, he is. uh, his, his church, man, his church is moving and there, yes. there is a lot of good and yes. we're seeing it all across the country. I had a, um, uh, I had a 70 year old man reach out to me, said he's been a Christian for 50 years, said, um, he's been an elder at his church for 20 years and he doesn't know if he's ever discipled anyone. Wow. He, after hearing one of my talks, one of our videos, he said that ends today. Wow. That for here on out, um, I, I'm, I'm going to reach into young men's lives and, and I'm going to lead them in, in, in the word and in the life and in the spirit. So man, we can do it. <laughs> God's doing it. He can do it with us or without us. Come on. Yeah. Well, thank you, Chris. Really appreciate this conversation and love what you're doing. We'll put links to all this in the description so people can get in touch and get their churches on board with this. Yeah, man. Encouraged. Thanks for that, brother. Well, if you've been blessed by this content with Chris Harper, they also have a podcast for Better Man. Hope you'll check that out. We'll put a link in the description. And don't forget to check out the Disciple Makers podcast here at discipleship.org. If you're watching this on YouTube, there's going to be a link to that as well in the description because there's a lot of content there, over a million views or listens on the podcast, and you're going to want to check that out. So appreciate y'all watching with us. Thanks for being part of the podcast and the show. Take care. Better Man is a free resource for men's ministry, serving a million plus men and understanding and living their roles, combined with resources for men's discipleship. Make sure to click the link in the show notes for Better Man's resources, and also head on over to check out the Better Man podcast, the fantastic podcast that Chris heads up. I got a link in the show notes for that as well. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Impact Discipleship Ministries talking to us about church culture on discipleship. Please hit the subscribe button to this channel if you haven't already so that you know when I drop the next episode. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being a listener to this podcast. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you.